Hello, 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 and welcome to Spiritpreneur School, where conscious entrepreneurs connect. Yes, we are taking self-love to self-launch. Spiritpreneur School is an empowerment podcast for magical creators and indigo daughters created by me, Abiola Abrams, just for you. A spiritpreneur is a spirited business person who is a heart-centered creator. Our guests range from CFOs to professional creatives. These mostly women are brilliant thinkers who have overcome challenges to live out loud and are excited about teaching you to do the same. So if you are wanting to know how to answer your calling, stop playing small, get out of your own way and live on purpose, you are in the right place. And considering today's guest, actually you are in the very right place because our guest Janine Staples is a scholar, an educator, and a coach. Now, this brilliant and beautiful woman is an associate professor of literacy and language, African-American studies, and women's gender and sexuality studies at the Pennsylvania State University. She focuses on dismantling supremacist patriarchies through research, teaching, and coaching. This is a powerful goddess that we are bearing witness to today, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her work and her forthcoming book as we go, but allow me to welcome Janine Staples. Hello, goddess Janine. Welcome to Spiritpreneur School. Oh, Aviola, thank you so much for that warm welcome. It was just so wonderful to hear your voice and really powerful to hear you describe so many great things. Thank you so much. Uh, Oh, you are welcome. Thank you, Janine. So that's your official bio. So who is the woman behind the bio, the woman behind the headlines? Who is Janine? And why did well, you choose to be in this line of work? So that's a really interesting question. Um, I chose to study, essentially I study love. I study black women's terror in love. I decided to study um, the concept of terror in relation to love specifically because um, I realized that there were so many instances in which we as women of color, black women in particular, um, experience what I call relational and social terrors. Um, that is, uh, we experience microaggressions and macroaggressions throughout our personal intimate relationships, our professional collegial relationships, and even our family um, and social dynamics. And there are very few resources for us that... Um, not only teach us something sort of beyond what we call self-care practices, but actually teach us how to um, do what I do, which is called um, doing deep excavations of the soul so that we can understand the belief systems that are generated in relation to these terrors so that we can understand ourselves better, our defense mechanisms better, our survival programs better, our narrative structures better, and in knowing all of our systems better, we can know ourselves better. And it takes what I call self-love to a new um, level. Um, I don't even use the term self-love, really. I use the term supreme love. Um, and when I teach women to love supremely, I'm talking about living supremely. That is living with a graduated sense of the deepest intimate knowledge of who you really are and understanding not only how to fall in love with who you are, how to like who you are in a very practical, reasonable way, 
but how to communicate um, the sense of knowledge that you have to other people around you. And also, more than that, um, connect with other people in a deeper and more profound way. And I started doing this work because um, I had a really rough decade. I had about 10 years of back-to-back-to-back relational and social terrors in my life that almost wiped me out. Um, I suffered from pretty chronic anxiety, pretty chronic depression. Um, I suffered paralyzing um, anxiety attacks, Um, really struggled. And the irony, Abiola, was that I did all this struggling behind closed doors, which is what a lot of us do as women of color. Um, I had lots of success um, socially, professionally. You just read my list of accolades, um, lots of degrees, lots of certifications, um, promoted, tenured, speaking all over the world, publishing my research everywhere, and yet managing my internal space, my interior life, um, was a real battle. It was a real struggle for about 10 years. So I decided to use my skills as an educational anthropologist and as a sociocultural literacist to do work and do real research um, on the interior lives of women. Janine, I'm here. I don't know if you're able to hear me. I can hear you now. Yes. Okay, okay. I was trying to talk, and there was something weird that was happening on the line. But I feel like this is such an important conversation because so much of what you were experiencing, I hear from so many successful women who are experiencing the same thing, and it's like everyone is in their life by themselves going through this anxiety about the different areas in which, you know, whether it's relationship, you know, love with other people, agape love, or, you know, love of ourselves, and rather than, you know, being able to feel that we're not, we're we're all in this together, you know, and I mm-hmm. feel like in a way that's what your work really does. Like it it shines a light on these love terrors, which is the perfect way to describe them, and helps mm-hmm. us to be able to tap into this supreme love. What has the reaction to you doing this work, what has the reaction been? It's been pretty explosive. Um, I started to push my um, findings out to the world um, about a few months ago, um, although I've been doing this work for about 10 years. And the outpouring of interest and support and collaboration has really exceeded my expectations. Um, The Supreme Love Project, which I um, founded and have a a Facebook group that anyone could join, I'm I'm pretty open. Uh, The Supreme Love Project is now in uh, nine countries. Um, We have thousands of members. Um, We are growing astronomically super quickly. Uh, The thing that's also surprising to me, Abiola, is that my intention was to reach women of color, black women particularly. My book, The Revelations of Asher, is about black women's terror and love. And yet the outpouring of interest and support and collaboration that has come from women of all racial backgrounds, including white women um, in America and in Europe, has really, really surprised me. So it's taken off like wildfire. I think one of the reasons is because So many women do want to understand what it means to get to know and manage properly um, and with authority and with true benevolence and compassion their interior lives because we understand intuitively that 
when we manage our interior lives properly, our exterior lives match um, yes. that management. And so when we are sort of a mess inside, um, our exterior lives reflect that and show us signs and signifiers of that interior disorder and dis-ease and dismemberment um, such that we really can't avoid it. Now, we can cover it up in lots of ways, and women who are like us and the women who are listening to this podcast right now are women probably who are pretty successful. We have this sort of accoutrement and the outer trappings of material right. success. We've gotten accolades. And so one might not imagine that from looking at a particular person that their interior life is sticky and messy because if you're looking at the outside and you're thinking, oh, well, her interior life must be dreamy because look at that great house and look at that beautiful car and look at her great clothes and cute shoes and all her perfect makeup and beautiful hair and skin and nails, you might think, oh, she's, she's, she's doing fine. But if you ask that woman on a quiet day um, when she's alone in her home um, or if she's with a partner that she's not aligned with properly, if she's in a partner where she's experiencing what I call um, terroristic abuse, you will find that um, the interior life that she is covering um, that she is maybe not managing well, that is fairly diseased and definitely disordered, is showing up in plain sight through her vision and maybe in ways that we as outsiders cannot see. And that may mean that the relationships that she has, even though they're plentiful, are fairly toxic. Or the job that she has, this great promotion, is actually killing her, causing her a great deal of stress and anxiety. Or the relationship she has with her parents, which seems so glowing and so close, is actually wrought with secrets and lies and deceit. And so what I found is the women who flock to my community and who flock to my work are women who actually know the truth, maybe can't put their finger on it, but they understand that they need some support to manage the disconnect. Yes, yes, so profound, so profound. And right now I'm like, you know, if I could be standing up giving you like a one-woman round of applause, I would be. I would be. So here's the billion-dollar question, Janine, for anyone who is listening that you just spoke to with all of that. She's got all of the accoutrement and has, you know, those hidden challenges. How Mm -hmm. do we love ourselves in a world that, A, seems to be telling us, you're not worthy, you know, yeah. with, you know, we turn on the media, women of every color, you know, that they, the, the messages over and over and over are saying you're not enough, you're inadequate, you need this new right. hair color, you need this new whatever, you know. So, A, you know, the world tells us, you know, that you're, you're not worthy and you're not enough. And, B, the, the world seems to be and feels to be, an unloving place just when we when we watch the news and there's so much, you know, outer terror going on that we then, right. you know, right. take in as well. So how do we love our how do we how do we tune into that supreme love amidst all of those conditions and circumstances? Okay. Well I'm Abila, thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel so excited that you asked that question. It's the right question to ask at this moment because of all that's going on in the world and everything that women of color in particular have to face in terms of relational terrors and social terrors that go in this graduated sense from microaggressive abuses to macroaggressive abuses. For the women who are hiding whatever you're dealing with, whatever is in your past that you want to cover up, whatever you're you're managing right now that's taking you over, the way to love yourself, first of all, is I'll tell you what it's how you don't do it. Okay. So Okay. You don't 
love yourself through self-care. That's not, that's not supreme love. Self-love will do that kind of work where you give yourself a great pedicure, you go buy yourself a new dress, or you make sure that you get that massage you need, or um, you put yourself to bed early and get up um, early to do meditations. That's self-care. Those self-care practices, believe it or not, and I think a lot of people who are listening to this would believe it, those self-care practices will only get you so far in your journey to a more powerful lover identity. So you don't necessarily do supreme love through self-care. That's not the way to do it. You do self-love through self-care. Self-care is great, but it won't get you to supreme love. Here's also what you don't do. You don't get to supreme love through positive affirmations. If you go to JanineStaples.com, you'll find a blog there that said, that's entitled, Why Your Positive Affirmations Don't Work. And if anyone is listening to this podcast has been a person who says positive affirmations ad nauseum over and over and over again and still falls back into anxiety and all, and plunges deeper into depression or cannot break out of her habits of self-sabotage, cannot break out of her habits of poor boundary setting, cannot break out of her habits um, of self-loathing and self-doubt, the reason is because self-affirmations are a patchwork, just like self-care is a patchwork. What supreme love advocates, and as a supreme lover, that's the identity that I take on as a woman now. I am a supreme lover. That's my identity. What you must do in order to really love yourself deeply, I mean in the anchored core of your being, you've got to go deep, much deeper than self-care, much deeper than positive affirmations. To get to that supreme love that is actually endemic, it's already in you. It's already in you. It's just covered up by a lot of mess, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of venom, a lot of toxicity. We, one must do deep excavations of the soul. That is, you must get to the root of your belief systems. You must get to the root of your survival programs. You must get to the root of your defense mechanisms. You must get to the root of your narrative structures and find out what it really is you believe, what really you actually do to survive, what it is that you say to yourself in your internal space, in your interior life. You've got to get to the bottom level. Go deep. That's, it's deep diving. And when you do that deep excavation, you need the proper tools and a guide to help you to manage properly with strength and with courage, what it is you're going to find there. Because, Abiola, what so many of us as women have is a long history with terror. It's a long history with trauma. It's a long history with abuse. We may not be able to articulate it, and we may not even be able to admit it to ourselves, but it's true, and it's there. So when we do this deep, deep excavation, you need someone there with you to help you to facilitate what it is you see and do healing at the root when you can do, and I can do, and everyone listening can do that healing at the root with a supreme love ideology, a wash, just pouring and showering down in the roots of our personhood, that's how true love manifests. The type of love that can face a society that teaches women of color that we are unworthy, that supreme love can meet that objection where it is with a courage and a compassion and a resolve that you cannot construct with positive affirmations, what you, you cannot construct with new makeup or a new dress 
and you cannot construct with a new boyfriend either. So the first step is to go deep. The second step is to go deep with a partner. You need a partner and a community. And the third step is to keep your continual practice after you do the excavation to make sure the healing stays stable until you graduate into a new lover identity and you know yourself for who you really, truly are. It's magnificent. Magnificent. Oh, this is so juicy. This is this is this is magnificent. I'm feeling it. I feel it resounding. I do. I feel it like pinging through the universe. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Yes. Right. So I'm like. <laughs> so okay. It is possible. So, a deep excavation of the soul. And so yes. if someone is like, okay, I want to start that today, Janine, what can they do right now where they are with whatever they have immediately to begin that deep excavation of the soul? Okay. Well, it's it's your best it's in your best interest to have a coach. It's in your best interest to work with Abiola. It's in your best interest to work with me. Um, if you cannot work with a coach right now, let's say that you don't have the money. Let's say that you don't have the time. Let's say that you're not quite sure who to find. Okay. Here's what you do first. Follow your body consciousness to get you the clue that you need to do the excavation. Okay. What that means is when you feel triggered, that is when you encounter a terror, if it's a relational terror or if it's a social terror, you will be triggered. That trigger shows up in a physical manifestation that we all know very well. So you might have heart palpitations. You might have a sinking feeling in your stomach. You might have back aches. Your buttocks might clench up. Um, you might ball your hands into a fist. Your brow will furrow. You'll clench your teeth so that they grind. When your body reacts that way, there's something going on. Your body is telling you that you're triggered in some way, and your soul is giving you a signifier through your physical body space. So when you get that trigger, you get that sign from your body, the key is to sit still, absolutely still. Go to where you can have quiet and silence. So that means if you're at the grocery store, stop where you are, go back into your car, and sit there in the parking lot. If you are at your desk and a cubicle, go to the restroom where you can have a private stall. If you are at the kitchen counter with your mom and you're triggered by something she said or something she did, go outside to the front yard or the front porch where you can find a quiet corner. When you feel the trigger, go be alone. When you are alone with yourself, track the body consciousness that is giving you signifiers. Follow your pain in your body. Those butterflies and those knots, follow them. Take your awareness and your consciousness into your body. Wherever that tension is, follow it. Be present with that pain. Be present with that tension. Let the manifestation of that pain and that tension speak to you. You can personify almost any part of your pain, almost any part of your pain, because every part of your pain has a voice that's actually who you are. That's a part of you. You have a voice. What we need to do is cultivate an ear for our own voices. I talk about fragmented selves in my work. You can go to my blog to find out more about that. Find your pain, recognize the voice of your pain, and form an engagement with that voice. Ask particular questions. Ask questions like, what do you have to give me? 
make assurances, say, I am here for you. You're actually speaking to yourself. You're speaking to the most wounded part of yourself in those moments. Doing that work requires someone to coach you. You need the narrative structure to know what to say to yourself. That's why I can only take you so far, even in this example. After you create a relationship with your pain, create a relationship with yourself, get to the root cause of that thing, you need to reinscribe that part of yourself back into yourself after it's been healed, after it's been assured, after you have been touched, after you have been warmed, after you have been blanketed with the highest compassion that's available to us through our creator. When you reassemble yourself, take that knowledge of your pain and what you disclosed to yourself out with you into the world. One of the things I say in the Supreme Love Project is, Take this message to heart and build it into your body. The message that I'm giving to you now can be built into your body with the proper facilitation by someone who understands the journey. Again, that would be Abiola, that would be me, or other people that are our guests on Abiola's show or guests in some of my summits. That facilitation is not taught to us in schools. That facilitation is not taught to us in church or mosque or synagogue. It's not taught to us um, in our graduate programs. It's not taught to us around the kitchen table from our mothers and our grandmothers and our aunties either. That is something we need to go to other goddesses for, um, other warrior goddesses for, other queens for, who have done the work like Abiola and I have done to help you to facilitate that process. So I'll recap just to give you a quick, a quick at least an instep into this process. The first thing you want to do is not avoid your pain. Getting to supreme love means going through some hardship. It means going through a reverberation of fear. So when you feel that signifier in your body, stop where you are and be with your pain. Don't go get a drink. No wine, ladies. Don't go get a plate of food. Don't go get chocolate. Don't call your best friend. Don't go have sex with your boo. Don't call your mama and cry on her shoulder. Don't call your daddy and tell him to beat somebody up. Don't write an angry email. Don't do anything but go to your quiet place. Find a sacred, um, quiet, soft place to be with your pain. Form an engagement with that pain. Reinscribe that pain back into yourself. And your knowledge of who you really are will grow incrementally and exponentially with that practice. Beautiful, beautiful, Janine. And it's so important. I just want to highlight that you said be present with your pain because in That's many right. ways Janine our entire society is set up to help us to avoid pain and so people Absolutely. they drink they eat they gamble they shop they you know have sex they do you know mm -hmm. watch tv play video games get on the computer almost anything to numb yes. or avoid being with our feelings, being with our pain. Yes, right. Can you speak to why it's so important to be present with your pain? Yes. Thank you for asking that question. Also, one of the reasons, ladies, it's so important to be present with your pain is because your pain tells you the whole narrative of your experience, your human experience. What we don't realize is that we have memory in our bodies from when we were in the womb. Your body and your soul is basically ancient. You have a wealth of memory, knowledge, epistemologies, ontologies, narratives, stories, 
curses, blessings, all built into your body and built into your soul. What happens is most of that forms a recessive posturing, goes into shadow. That's why some people in our circle, like Deepak Chopra, talk about the shadow effect, or Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body. That is our subconscious realm. It goes into the etchings of our body. It goes into the etchings of our soul, and it rests there. When our feelings pop up, and one of the reasons, Abiola, you, you phrased the question so powerfully, why is it important to listen to our feelings? Why is it important to be with our feelings? When our emotive structures cluster and rise up from our pain body and rise up from our shadow effect, what's happening, or even our golden effect, which is the, the opposing force and actually um, – more powerful force, force from the, the um, shadow, when those feelings rise up as emotive clusters, they are telling us who we really are. They are telling us the true nature of our soul and body. They are telling us what is beyond the performance that we actually use to navigate the world. So if you are not with your feelings, if you don't feel what you feel, if you can't name your feelings, if you can't be with your feelings peaceably, with authority, with comfort, with confidence, with courage, then you cannot know who you are and you cannot be whole, point blank and period. That's why it's so important. Mm. Yes, point blank and period. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling called to share with you, Janine. This should be, are you going to train other facilitators in the Supreme Love process? I feel like there should be, you should be training other facilitators to go out and do this. I will. That's a part of the plan. The Supreme Love Project is developing a course right now. It's our first online course. Um, Abiola is a guest speaker for that course, so it's really exciting. Yes. We're, we're building it now. <laughs> yes. And so what the goal is, the goal is in 2016 and 2017 to get through our first cohort of Supreme Love um, Project members to get through that course and then choose a select group from those um, participants who might be a good trainer so that I can do a train-the-trainer model and have facilitators go out across the world and train people in Supreme Lover identity. We all, Abiola, are Supreme Lovers. We've just forgotten. We've lost our way. So, so many women um, are, what I name in my research, I talk about main chicks, I talk about side chicks, I talk about bonnies, I talk about bitches, I talk about victims. Those are five lover identities that many women who have been relationally terrorized or socially terrorized, either in a microaggressive or a macroaggressive way, we've assumed these toxic lover identities and forgotten that we're supreme lovers. We're actually supreme lovers. And so, yes, I'm working on a train-the-trainer model so that other people can facilitate this process with me. I'm one person, so I definitely need some yes. help for sure. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, I just want to go deeper into something that you just said. You were essentially talking talking again about the fragmented self. Can you please explain mm -hmm. that? Yes, yes. So I work with a group of 10 women for about two years in what I call, it's an ethnographic study. That means we spent a great number of hours together over the course of the two years. I collected all kinds of data from them. I'm a narrative scholar, so I collected their writing samples from journals, email correspondences, instant messages, and I also recorded interviews and did focus groups with them over the course of the two years. And what I found when I did deep analysis of the data 
was that there are actually seven fragmented cells, there are seven emotive voices um, that come into play in at least those ten women. And I suspect, my theory posits, that the seven fragmented cells are present in each woman that I, would ever, that I will ever meet. And what that means is we are each basically a component of seven parts. We have seven pieces that comprise our whole. And I gave the fragmented cells, which are essentially emotive voices, uh, forces, I gave them names so that they could be personified, so that it would be easy for people to relate to them. And I wrote my book, The Revelation of Asher, from the voices of the fragmented selves. They are the purest and most distilled and most um, essentialized um, voices of womanhood. And I'll tell you the seven, and I'll also tell you where you can find them in your body and in your soul. So the highest fragment of ourselves I named Raja. That is the spirit of any woman. That's who you really, truly are. It's your ethereal nature. It's your divine essence. That is the part of you. That is the whole of you. That is in touch with your creator. And that is ever-present and filled with gorgeous, glowing, amazing, stunning, still constant power. That's who we really are. That's Raja. The next fragmented self I named Asher. I named my book after her. The book is called The Revelations of Asher because Asher has a lot to say. Asher is our emotive force that's about inquiry. Asher is about deterministic energy. She is the investigator. She's the person who asks lots of questions. Um, Asher is the emotive force that um, is a little sarcastic. She's a little bit defensive. Um, Asher lives in the place of the soul. The next fragment itself is Maven. Now, a lot of women know Maven. Maven is the name of the uh, fragments itself who essentially um, embodies our maternal voices. She's a cacophony, a composite of your mom's voice, your grandmother's voice, your auntie's voice, maybe your favorite teacher's voice. She's those maternal influences. And Maven is easily recognized in the data because she always points the finger and says what you should do, what you ought to do, um, how you need to know better. Um, she's accusatory um, and when she's terrorized. The next fragment itself I call Nason. Um, Nason is the part of a woman um, that is in desperate need of um, affirmation, external affirmation. She's about people-pleasing. She wants validation and she wants comfort from the outside to be told that she's worth something, to be told that she's whole. Um, and she's... She's pretty intense. She's got a lot of smiling energy. She's very, very performative. That's what happens with a lot of us when we are dominant in Nason. And so yes. Asher, Maven, and Nason occupy the place of the soul. They are our cognitive energy, um, and they are our sensical energy. They are calculating energy. Um, they are our forward-moving energy. A lot of our anxiety is where they reside and what they funnel into. Now, the three lower fragmented cells, if you look at yourself, women um, who are listening um, as a body, so the soul you might think of as your head space and your neck and your shoulders, um, maybe even a little bit of your heart space. If you go further down below the waist, you'll find the other fragmented cells. 
So I've named the next Kagan with a K. And that is the name that I gave to the clustering of energy that's about sex, sexuality, sensuality. Um, that's a part of a woman that's about concrete need um, and desire. That's the part of us that wants time, energy, money, gifts, um, purses, bags, clothes, and shoes. Kagan is about desire. She is about want. Um, she's very bold in her energy often. Below her is a voice that I call Laish with an L. Laish is um, the sixth fragmented self. Um, she's the smallest voice. She's closer um, to the womb in, in terms of where she lives in the body. She is our voice of um, self-loathing, of worry, of insecurity, of doubt. She speaks in whispers. She's uncertain and unsure about herself. She is where our destabilized energy lives when we are terrorized. And below her is a voice that I call Sash. She's in the vagina, in the legs, in the buttocks. She's down low, um, even in the knees and feet. Sash is the name that I gave to our rage. She is our anger. That's the clustering of defensive energy, of caustic, profane energy. Sash is triggered when we are relationally terrorized or socially terrorized, and she is the one that's screaming. She is the part of us that is charging forward in defense. So these seven mm. parts of ourselves, they, this is our spirit, our soul, and our body. And Abiola, when we get to those deep excavations of the soul and deep minutia work in the body, we can get to know each part of ourselves so intimately, so powerfully, so well, there is not anything any man, woman, or child could tell us about ourselves that we don't know or that we can't claim. The level of power and wisdom and courage and confidence that comes from knowing your seven fragmented selves, each part of you and each place in you is an incomparable value. There's just, there's no price. There's no price on it. Yes, yes, it goes back to that eternal lesson of know thyself. That's right. Know thyself. That's right. And, you know, I think that this is a good time to talk about the shadow, the shadow self, mm. which is when many women begin the journey of self-knowledge that, of course, you're going to butt up against the shadow because you're human and we have many shadows. And, right. again, that will cause many of us to run or, you know, stop it or then go get the food or get the man or go shopping or avoid or whatever it is. Please talk about the shadow, Janine. Mm -hmm. So our shadow effect is present. We become aware of our shadow effect when we do experience relational or social terrors. And just to define that again, because I'm using a lot of terms, I know, a relational terror happens when, for example, you are dating a guy or maybe you're in a marriage relationship and your guy tells you that you're fat. Um, or he makes a disparaging comment about your skin color. Or um, something totally different. Let's say he just ignores you. So it's emotional neglect. And that's a trigger for you. That's a terroristic experience. I write in my blog also about how neglect is illegal. It's actually mm. against spiritual law to be neglectful. Yes, it's, it's, an, it's an illegal thing. 
And so that's a microaggression. That's a relational terror. And a social terror happens a like to a lot of what we're seeing today in the news, um, where you might be trailed by the police, or you might be um, uh, dismissed by your boss or your supervisor, overlooked for um, a promotion that you know you well deserve. Um, so there are all kinds of ways that we get triggered with these relational and social terrors, and they have like this life on a trajectory. They ebb and flow in intensity. Sometimes they're very, very light, and we can dismiss them, and they often get dismissed. Or they're very, very heavy, and you can't ignore it because it's weighing on you so deeply. And so when we experience these relational and social terrors, if we are triggered and we have no relationship with our fragmented selves, we have no real relationship. What's happening is each part of us is reacting to the trigger that the terror brings. And each part of us is reacting really with malcontent. Each part of us is reacting because we are disordered and we are not governed well by our highest sensibility, ourselves as spirit. Our shadow effect rises and gains ground in the wholeness of our person. So you can actually meet a woman, Abiola, and I think we've met sisters like this, who are dark. They are filled with negativity, filled with disdain, prone to gossip, very profane, um, agitated, irritable, um, anxious, combative, um, maybe deceitful, maybe duplicitous. Maybe some of us have even been that way. I know I was. Before I had a command of my shadow effect, before I understood the detail of my pain body, before I knew my fragmented self very well so that I could command the presence of my soul and my body and become a supreme lover, my shadow effect took over my life. It took over my yes, life. Me even with, even, yeah, even with my pretty clothes and pretty smile. It didn't matter. People can feel your shadow effect when it's out of control, ladies. If you think you're kidding or fooling anyone, you're not. You're not. This is an energetic level that we operate on. Even though we can't name it necessarily or have the language for it, it's not hidden what you think you're hiding. Absolutely not. So then what we know is that the shadow effect is linked into our pain body. That part of ourselves gains ground just like a cloud from the inside out and overpowers our sensibilities so that it becomes reasonable to be reactionary. It becomes reasonable to be defensive. It becomes practical and logical to become duplicitous. Um, it becomes sensible to be passive-aggressive as opposed to direct and clear and honest and coherent. And so when that shadow effect grows and our pain body complicates and we are out of control in our interior life, when we are not reigning from our thrones, as warrior queens, as servant warrior queens, your shadow effect, it will run, and what I say is it will ruin your life. Mm. Mm. Wow. You mm. are, the way that you speak is just so poetic, you know, like that mm. you painted you. this picture of like, you know, when we are not reigning, and it will ruin your life. It will run your life. You know, there's yes. this like very uh, pithy saying that what you can't be with won't let you be, but it's true right. that it will mm -hmm. take over. So what okay. do you do, Janine, as, you know, a woman who has studied and mastered this 
supreme love. What do you do on a daily basis to reinforce supreme love in your own life? And uh, to, to clarify, you know, the reason why I'm asking this is that oftentimes, you know, people feel like, but, you know, I've heard it a million times at conferences, you know, but I've been doing this work forever or I, I you know, mm-hmm. read this X amount of books or I did this or that and, you know, and, and then, but but I'm not healed. Why am I not there yet wherever there is? Yeah. So what do you do yeah. in your life to reinforce, you know, this supreme love, Janine? That's right. Okay, perfect. So it, the bottom line is I be with me. I be with me. And when I say that to women, I be with me. It means I have a, a stable beingness with all of me. I do that in episodic ways, and I do that in sustained ways. I have a balance. So what that means is I have time with myself on a regular basis, and I mean weekly, where I do my deep excavations, where I collect the triggers that have harassed me on a particular day or a week or a month. I've written them down in my journal. I've found my pattern. I go into my quiet place and I do my guided meditation that I can teach in the Supreme Love Project. And like you said earlier, I can teach trainers to do with women. And I do a a, a sustained excavation that goes into the belief system that I have about those um, terrors, a belief system that I have um, in relation to those perceptions, um, I, I go into my defense mechanisms and my survival programs that have built themselves up in my shadow in relation to those articulated and defined and documented experiences. I will go in for an hour with myself. Sometimes, Abiola, it's three hours with myself and do a sustained excavation. Now, the way a woman can get healed is to heal at the root, which is what we talked about earlier. You can read lots of books, women, sisters. You can run your marathons. You can go to church all day, every day. You can praise God and worship him. You can read your Bible and spout off verses. You can pretty up, thin down, thicken up, grow your hair. You can do all of those things, but if you don't heal the root, after the thousand books that you've read, the 100 Christian women conferences that you've went to, the nights you cried on your best friend's shoulder, you still won't be healed if you don't heal the root. So what I do is I do my deep excavations. I go into my roots. I go into my roots, and I shed the balm of Gilead, that supreme love, at my roots everywhere I find a hole, everywhere I find dis-ease, everywhere I find toxicity. Like I said, sometimes that's once a week. Sometimes it's every other week now because I'm sort of like deep in this um, practice now. I've, I've gained mm-hmm. some traction. I've gained some capacity. And what I do, Abiola, also is I do episodic excavation. So a sustained excavation is what I just described. It's where I need to be alone for an afternoon or a morning or an evening. And I try to find carve-out space in my schedule to spare it and prioritize my excavation and do the work of going to the roots. And that, what I do after that is I sustain and I do episodic excavations as I proceed from that root cause analysis. So after I do my root um, work and heal my beliefs and replace with new beliefs 
and heal my mechanisms and replace with new mechanisms, then my episodic excavation, my episodic work is to remind myself of my healing as I move through the day. That means when my documented trigger comes back up again, whatever I wrote in my journal, what I recorded in my voice recorder, um, what I talk about with my coach, when it comes up in my day again, um, if I meet someone who um, I think is avoiding me or ignoring, ignoring me, which is a huge trigger for me, um, I am able to go back to my place emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, socially, even physically, and do a healing tweak and a healing motion, a healing mention to further solidify the healing that I did at the root. And what that looks like is basically I don't ignore myself at all, Abiola. I mean, the level of avoidance and betrayal that I used to experience at my own hand is legendary. And I'm sure that you've done the same. Our, yeah, um, your absolutely. listeners have done the same. Absolutely. And so when I say I do an episodic excavation, that what that means is if I feel a twitch, if I feel unhappy even for five minutes, I stop where I am, where I am and I take 60 seconds and I go in to do what I described earlier, and I am, I be with me. I stay with my pain. I follow it. I do a narrative um, healing, and I level up and clear out. That means over the course of my day, depending on my day, if I'm filled with meetings, if I'm filled with interviews, if I'm traveling the world, if I'm teaching students, if I'm coaching in the Supreme Love Project, if I'm here in my house, sometimes you're just here in your house. I'm here in my house right now with this interview with WLA rooms, and I, had, I was triggered this morning with, with the news about what's going on in France, um, what's going on with yes. the police brutality in the United States. Um, and and I, I wasn't with anyone, but I still felt that trigger. I needed to do an episodic healing with me. I was being with me. I went to the root of a belief in a, in a, in a sort of surface cursory way, knowing that I'd already done the deep work of root healing, and I was able to reappropriate my relationship to these experiences and redefine my role in this narrative and do the work of making myself um, reordered in the context of everything that's going around. So in summary, what I do is I do deep excavations of the soul in a sustained way or an episodic way. The episodic ways go throughout the course of my day. And sometimes women say, oh, well, Jean, I don't have time to do that. I'm so busy. I've got three kids. I've got a husband or I've got, you know, a global business. I, I don't have time to do that. Listen. The deep excavation does take at least an hour, sometimes three. The episodic work, it takes 60 seconds. It's 60 seconds. You can give yourself 60 seconds every couple of hours to manage your grief, to manage your pain body, to heal and reveal your shadow effect so that you can walk in supreme love every day of your life. You can afford that time. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, this, I think, will help many women, Janine, not only this conversation where I feel like you just dropped so many gems, but your work overall, I think, is, you're, I think that you're just a healing force on this planet, and I thank you oh, for your work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so I much. Do. You're a jewel. 
I am so serious, and I just I want to encourage everyone, actually, Janine, to that they can go to your site, and not only is your wonderful blog there, but you can learn your lover identity and heal your soul, so that you too can become okay. a supreme lover. If you, how did can you tell them a little bit about how they do that? How they can sign up for that? Yes, um, actually, what you can do, if you'd like, you could I can send Abiola a link to share with you. Or you can email okay. support at JanineStaples.com, and we can get you the link to the Supreme Lover Identity. Uh, well, it's actually the Lover Identity Quiz. You can take the quiz. It's a two-part quiz. It'll tell you your lover identity if you've been relationally or socially terrorized, and then we can get you on the path to healing. Oh, that is perfect. And I will post that at sacredbombshell.com slash Janine. And Janine is spelled J-E-N as in Nancy, I-N as in Nancy E. So sacred. No, no, no. It's J. It's actually. Uh Oh. (laughs) No, no, no. You forgot the A. It's J-E-A-N-I-N-E. Okay. One more time. So sacredbombshell.com slash Janine, J-E-A-N-I-N-E. Correct? That's right. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And your book. So as we close, you know, we are we are we're going to have to leave it here, but please tell them about your book and where to find it and how to join your movement overall, which of course they're going to be tapped into once they go to sacredbombshell.com/denise. Okay. Well, the book is entitled The Revelations of Asher, and if you recall my description of the fragmented selves, Asher is the fragmented self that's just under ourselves as spirit. She is the fragmented self, the part of us that tells stories. She um, is the inquisitive one, the determined one. She's the investigator. So she is the voice that I um, occupy in order to to tell the stories of the women that I worked with. Um, The book is available at Amazon.com right now. It was sold on sold out on Amazon twice, but we've got it restocked, and I would be happy for you to go ahead and purchase it. You can go to Facebook and look up the Supreme Love Project if you'd like to join the private group where I post particular blogs that are only for that community, and I do live um, broadcasts also only for that community, um, and where I tell us uh, tell everyone in my community the first news that we can, they can expect from the Supreme Love Project. Oh, this is wonderful. Well, this is the first of many conversations that, well, no, the second, actually, because the first was yes. part of the Supreme Love Project. But the but we That's will right. continue these conversations, Janine. And, again, thank you for being a goddess and a force of nature. Thank you for quoting Pride and Prejudice and your first email to yes. me that I knew that this is my sister <laughs> right here. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. And to you, my darling spiritpreneur who are listening, if no one has told you today, I love you, love you, love you, mm-hmm. dream bigger, yes. and love yourself in a supreme way. And yes. we will, I will see you. <laughs> I will see you in the next conversation. Bye bye.